not all of us have accessibility to therapy and mm-hmm. all of those different kinds of, of tools or working with someone like me. And so that's why I think self-healing work is so important because there's so much that you can do within yourself by being curious with yourself and asking yourself questions. I'm Leila Saad, and my life is driven by one burning question. How can I become a good ancestor? How can I create a legacy of healing and liberation for those who are here in this lifetime and those who will come after I'm gone? In my pursuit to answer this question, I'm interviewing changemakers and culture shapers who are also exploring that question for themselves in the way that they live and lead their life. It's my intention that these conversations will help you find your own answers to that question too. Welcome to Good Ancestor Podcast. Yasmin Shayan is a writer and spiritual teacher who helps people create their self-healing practices. Through speaking, her workbooks, and courses, she helps her students navigate the sometimes tougher parts of self-healing work and integrate it into all areas of their lives. Okay, everybody. Hello, and welcome back to Good Ancestor Podcast. I'm your host, Leila Saad, and today I'm here with Yasmin Shayan, who is an incredible writer, speaker, teacher, doing healing work, the inside work of healing work something that's very, very close to my heart. So I'm excited for this conversation. So welcome, Yasmin. Thank you. I'm excited to be talking to you today. We recently were in a conversation, but our roles were reversed. You were interviewing me. (laughs) It's great to be back in conversation with you, but to have it the other way around. And I'm somebody who just loves digging into people's stories and learning about their journeys and what led them into the work that they're doing and how they do the work that they're doing. And so I know this mm-hmm. is going to be a rich conversation. I say that because you are one of the Instagram accounts that I follow who every time a post comes up, I'm always like, ah, oh, a little ne- negative wisdom for me to remember. Thank you. <laughs> a little reminder for me to remember how to hold myself. That's what I see you doing in the world. So I'm excited to talk to you. Thank you. Yes. Yeah. So our first question who are some of the ancestors, living or transitioned, familial or societal, who've influenced you on your journey? Yes. So I think the number one is my grandmother. She is no longer here, but I've always found it so interesting having to be a Black woman during the time that she was born, come up to New York to try to have a new start, a fresh start. And what must have may have been going through her mind, you know, because I feel like in general, black women, we, we adapt and we don't really have time to think a lot of times about our emotions and our feelings. So it may not have actually gone through her mind, but, you know, to imagine being so young and, and starting out anew. And then also just how she had such an influence on so many of the people in my family, but was able to teach us and talk to us and be a part of our lives in the way that we each individually needed. She probably would have been an amazing teacher. She was, but the things had things been different, she probably would have had an opportunity to reach even more lives than she did. So I always find that to be one of my guiding people in my life that helps me stay grounded. And I also try to draw inspiration from her peace and patience. And I don't know if you ever think about this, but growing up during that kind of a time, which is very similar to now. Yeah. Um, 
<laughs> when but, you look at then and now, it's it's eerie sometimes how so many mm. things are are the same. Yeah. But in your face, go through this door, don't drink from this, you know, do right. this, do that. You would think there would be so much more anger. And she was much more of a this is just the way it is. And it's not gonna stop me from trying to get give my children the best life. And it's mm. not gonna stop me from still trying to do the things that I want to do in my life. And it was just, it was like, it's there and I hate it. And also right now I have to focus on what I can try to do to move just my children forward or my grandchildren forward. So yeah, that was a long answer, but that's my, my number one. My number two is Dr. Maya Angelou. Yeah. <laughs> yes. And what are the reasons for her specific? Because she's for me as well, but wh- I'm curious about what it is for you with her. So she reminds me of my grandmother. Yeah. <laughs> she's what I fantasize, for lack of a better term, what my grandmother could have done. Because Dr. Maya Angelou to me is just was so free for the time and so unafraid for the time and unapologetic throughout her life. And my grandmother was a lot more reserved and a lot more of what we kind of were expected to be as women in general. Mm. And I feel Dr. Maya Angelou was like ahead of her time in the way that she was grounded in her yes and her authenticity, regardless of her height, her color, you know, all the things that were kind of working against society's expectations of femininity at the time. Yeah. And I, I just love that about Dr. Maya Angelou. I also love that she takes on all of these children of hers that are not her birth children. And I think that that's what life is about. How can you touch people and be a surrogate for people in whichever way that you can be? But it always appears to be very reciprocal. It's not just her pouring into. She's latching to people who she also needs in some way. And I think that's amazing. Mm, I love what you've shared. And I can see the links. Like my brain is like making so many connections with what I know about your work as well. Mm -hmm. So let's talk about what you were saying about your grandmother first. When you said, you know, she accepts, she was at peace with where she was like this is what the situation is I cannot change Mm -hmm. that and I'm going to do these 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 things Mm -hmm. right so one of the things we're going to be linking to on this episode is your Skillshare class Mm -hmm. um, which is about it's so it's called writing for self-discovery is that correct Mm -hmm. yep and using journaling as a method of really Mm self-healing and one of the things that I took away from your course was the importance of accepting exactly where we are Mm-hmm. exactly who we have been because a lot of your work is also digging into our story from our past mm-hmm. right owning that and then from that place now what are the choices that I'm going to make to bring me closer to the life that I want for myself and that I want for my loved ones and I find that very very powerful I think for me one of the most powerful things that I have found for myself is accepting that I'm a human being first of all mm-hmm. <laughs> which sounds really odd but with so many of us like so wanting to be perfect and not understanding humanity isn't perfect. 
Mm-hmm. We're constantly in this bind, right? And then accepting yeah. that the world around us, there's systemic oppression, there's racism, mm-hmm. there's sexism, there's gender, you know, all of these things. Those things are true, right? And yeah. I'm still going to write this story for myself, mm-hmm. right? So talk to us a little bit about that and like why that is important in the way that you approach your work. Yeah, you know, I really feel we often allow our story, our past, because any like yesterday is a part of our story now. And I often feel like we allow it to weigh us down, especially if you're a recovering perfectionist like myself, like you, (laughs) yeah, you know, always in recovery because it comes back. And I think we think, okay, so I dealt with the past that's done. And now I'm just going to move forward. Mm -hmm. And we completely forget about today right now in this moment, Mm -hmm. it's always moving forward. But in the present is where we can begin to really dig into like, what is it? that I want? What is it that I need? What is it about the past that keeps coming up in my present? Because we often say even like the sayings we have, I don't want to repeat this again. What are you repeating right now? Right. I thought I was over this. (laughs) I thought I healed this. Right. I dumped him. I changed this. I changed that. I I left my job. And then before you know it, like you'll meet people and they'll seem great. And then before you know it, they've transformed into the same people you just left in the same situation that I was in before. And a lot of it is because when we focus externally on all of the people and what they have done or haven't done or how they impacted us, we completely forget how we say yes to those situations over and over again, how we ignore our intuition, how we ignore the the part of us that's like, no, I don't want to do this, how we ignore the red flags. And the more that we can get present, and and then in the journaling class I did with Skillshare, I was able to do it in a way where it's done doable every day. You know, if you're not really... very doable. Yeah. 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 And I feel like we get into a place of like, I don't have an hour to dedicate to my past today. So if nothing happened today, I'm going to check today as a good day and then I'm moving on to tomorrow. Keep it moving. Right, right. And that's fine. But that little 10 to 15 minute check-in can be such a powerful moment of like, whoa, you know, almost a deja vu. Like I've experienced this before. Mm. Yesterday was a good day, but when she said that it triggered something in me or when this happened and and when we don't check in with ourselves, then five days down the line, someone says one thing like, Hey, would you mind turning the TV down? And before you know it, you're blowing up on this one little thing, (laughs) right? Because even though you were having good days, there were five days of things that you weren't checking in with. Yeah, And now we have to unpack this whole thing about blowing up because of the, the television volume. But really, it's not about that. It's about being unheard. And we are the ones that listen to ourselves. Yeah, first. yeah, yeah, yeah. And we are often the ones who are ready and willing to listen to others mm-hmm. and not ready and willing to listen to ourselves. So you have this mm-hmm. beautiful analogy that you share on your website about the sugar jar story. Mm-hmm. I'd mm-hmm. love for you to share that with us because I'm you know me, I'm huge on boundaries, <laughs> but <laughs> you know this, but I, I love this analogy that you shared. And I'm like, I never thought of it this way. I always talk about mm. keeping my cup full, but this, something about the way you explain it is just so helpful for many people, I think, who struggle with understanding why you need boundaries, what boundaries mean and how to maintain them. And what are you maintaining? Right. When you're holding right. the boundary, what is it that you are keeping protected? 
Right. That's such a good point because I think we're all like, yeah, I have a boundary against this. And it's like, yeah. against what and why? Yes. And what does this boundary mean? Yeah. Because boundaries have consequences. So to answer your question, the sugar jar idea was really something that, that came to me when I was dealing with a situation where I was like, how <laughs> is it that I teach this, that I have this happening and I have this happening in my life? And I saw myself as a sugar jar, as a, a jar filled with sugar but it was sugar all over the place and it was dispersed and there wasn't a lid on the jar and people were coming in and taking cupfuls of sugar. And if you've ever like baked with a child, imagine that kind of scooping, right. Scooping and it's spilling and you don't know where it's going. And in the analogy, the jar is us. The sugar represents our energy, our time, our money, our availability. And I think a lot of times we think I have multiple jars because I'm a mom, I'm a this, I'm a that, but no, we, we actually only have one jar because it's only one of us. Right. So <laughs> everything we do has to come from this one jar. Yeah. We all have different size jars, right? Oprah might have a way bigger jar right. than, than we have. Right. You can work to grow your ability to take in energy because mm-hmm. any, like even in this conversation, we're exchanging right now. Yeah. Um, but whatever size your jar is, the boundaries are the lid. And many of us do not have a lid on our jar. And so people are just coming in and taking it. And we're doing the therapy sessions and we're doing the healing and the, the journaling. And so maybe those things fill up a cup full of sugar. But before we can even get that cup in, somebody's already waiting with a spoon, waiting with this. And that's how we are depleted. And many times we're thinking about where our energy is going before we even think about how much we need to give to ourselves. Mm. And so we're working from an empty jar constantly. And there's nothing worse than when your energy is dispersed all over the place. And it's really hard to get back in. And the reason why I love the sugar analogy is because sugar is the worst clean. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Glitter. It just it goes it's, everywhere. Right. It's everywhere. You're stepping on it for weeks. And when we think about that in terms of our energy, that's really how it works. It takes us some time to begin to fill ourselves back up. It takes us time to figure out where it's even lingering. Like, oh, wow, I still have energy there. I need to sweep that. I need to put that away. Or maybe I can just kind of replenish and let that energy go. Like, I'm not going to get that sugar back in my jar. So that was kind of the thought process behind it. And I feel that it helps people to understand and see where our energy is going because especially, again, Black women and Black people in general, we don't often talk about energy in that kind of a way. We right. talk about vibes. Right. I don't like the vibe. I don't like the energy in this room. Our energy was off, but we don't talk about energy in terms of how we can protect our, our own energy. So just to mention, boundaries are permeable. They should be able to be changed. We all have hardline boundaries. Like, nope, you're not going to talk to me like that. Right. <laughs> you're not going to treat my family like that. But then there's other ways in our relationships where our boundaries should be able to be discussed. There should be some kind of communication. And most importantly, we should be able to still talk about the issue or reach into ourselves and dig into the issue. So if you have a boundary in place where you can't think about the issue or where once you put the boundary in place, you're like, okay, I'm done with that. Right. Most likely it's not a boundary. It's what I call a barrier, which is just a wall. And sometimes we have to have the wall in place until we can get to the boundary because it might be too painful. Right. To There's trauma around, right. That then that's, it's a survival mechanism. Right. And that's right. 
And sometimes we need support around that to help transform a barrier into a boundary. I think also, just as I'm hearing you speak, I'm also, I'm guessing that consent is a huge part of it, right? Because if the lid, so if the lid is the boundary and the lid is off, there's a difference between us saying, hey, you're welcome to come and take some of my sugar versus somebody just coming in and taking it and you have, you know, that's hugely different, right? Because when we talk about boundaries, I think sometimes people feel like, why are you being selfish, right? Like, why are you Mm -hmm. cutting a part of yourself off from us? But there's, for me, there's a difference between I'm inviting you to share this, this part of me versus Mm -hmm. you feeling entitled to it. And as black women, one of the things about being a black woman is there is a history of everyone else feeling that they are entitled to do that to us. And oftentimes mm-hmm. we see a very shocked reaction when we say, actually, there's a lid on my sugar yeah. jar. Yeah. And, and we think that that's our purpose too. So there's the, the first part where everybody thinks they have access and then we are taught to believe like our purpose is to hold it all together. Right. So when we're unpacking that piece and we're like, oh, I have an option. I can say no. Just because you're my whatever label you have in my life doesn't mean you automatically get this husband, wife, whatever. Right, because that's where it's hard. Oftentimes, <laughs> it's easier with people who are strangers. They don't know any you mm-hmm. anything. You don't owe them anything. What about when it's your children? What about mm-hmm. when it's your partner, your parents? That's when it becomes like you have to really have that internal conversation with yourself, right? About yeah. understanding that my self worth actually or my my energy. And the maintaining of my energy actually has to become before each one of those people. That's not something that we're taught at all. Oh, absolutely not. And I think when you have that permission in place, that lid in place, and people say, hey, do you have time to talk tonight? Like something that simple. And Mm -hmm. I always use this example because when we're friends with someone, we're like, oh, we should be able to, I should be a, like anytime you hear that, Mm -hmm. that phrase, I should be able, or we should be able, or other people are able, yeah. you know, that's usually like a sign that it's, you're stepping into story mode or, you know, as Dr. Brene Brown explains, like we, we have a story about the way we feel we are supposed to be interacting with the world based on our experiences and what we've been taught. Mm-hmm. So with that lid, we say, yes, I have time and I have 30 minutes tonight. Let's chat versus sure I have time and then you're on the phone with someone for two hours when you wanted to do that Skillshare class or you wanted to go to sleep early or you wanted to do whatever. I also think with kids and with our partners, it's tough because they met us as our boundaryless self. That's right. Yeah. We didn't know how to back then. Right. Right. And so it's having those internal conversations like you were saying with yourself and really investing in your in your self-healing work. And I say self-healing because not all of us have accessibility to therapy and mm-hmm. all of those different kinds of, of tools or working with someone like me. And so that's why I think self-healing work is so important because there's so much that you can do within yourself by being curious with yourself and asking mm-hmm. yourself questions like, what do I want here in this relationship? Why is it when I spend time with this person, I feel drained? Is it me? That's a great question to ask in every you know situation because it's not self blame, but it's I can it's only responsibility, change right? Responsibility. I can yeah. only change my reaction, mm-hmm. and so when we begin to do that, like even with my oldest daughter, who's who's going to be ten this year, we'll have you know an interaction, and I'll say, you know, mommy doesn't have time for that right now, and she's like, but I really want to watch this movie, 
And I'm like, okay, I can't do that tonight, but tomorrow we can do it. And then maybe mm-hmm. tomorrow she doesn't want to watch the movie. And I'll use that as an opportunity to say, that's boundaries. And even though I am now available and trying to make up because I didn't have time the day right. before to work, right. she's over it. Yeah. And I use that as an example. It's always easier to use it when the kid is the one with the boundary. And I'm like, this is a boundary and this is healthy. And I understand yeah. that you don't want to work right now. We can find a time when we both have availability to watch this movie. And in those small or someone texting her and I'm like, she's like, I really don't want to text. I'm like, and you don't have to. Hmm. Those very small ways that we can begin to impart that on them to empower themselves. But I do always teach. We have boundaries with our kids, of course, but our relationship is one way with them until they grow up Mm. because we're just there to serve them and Mm. and they don't have the availability to be any part for us. So our boundaries may be, you know, you go to bed at this time or whatever those kind of things are, but the boundaries should be always open where they can come in and feel the support and the love and yeah. all of those things. And then they can also say no within reason, like not. Mm-hmm. No or not. <laughs> um, <laughs> and we give them that, that flexibility to learn how to have their own voice yeah. outside of us, but know that they still have us until, until. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I love that you brought up your daughter as an example. It's funny, just an hour ago, I was having a conversation with my daughter who's 10 and we were talking about the fact that the, you know, school's over in a couple of weeks and then the summer holiday starts, you're going to be home. And I said, but that's the time when I'm really going to be focusing on writing my manuscript for my second book. And, mm. and that means that we still have to have this arrangement where you're going to your grandparents' house every day. Now she just wants to stay here every day. So she's like, mm. but why do we have to go? And I'm like, well, because you know how Baba, their dad, go, mm-hmm. gets to work at the office and nobody, no kids are asking him questions and asking <laughs> if they can, can you play with that. us? And <laughs> right, here's how it, as in my office is here. I can't go to the library. Mm-hmm. It's closed. That's where I normally write. It's closed. So mm-hmm. I have to write from here. And she was, you know, upset about it. Like, but we don't want to do that. And I'm like, I understand. And this is a really tough time because we're all mm-hmm. home, but it has to be fair to all of us. And mm-hmm. it's important for me to be able to still get my work done. And just a few years ago, I don't think I would have been able to do that. I was very much in the thinking of my number one responsibility is making sure that they are happy. They should never mm-hmm. cry. I should never be the reason why they feel like they're, yeah, or they feel like they're missing out on something or it's not going the way that they want it to go. And especially because as somebody who is an entrepreneur and does the work, that's my soul work. Mm -hmm. Two years ago, I was like, it's such an indulgence that I get to do that. Mm -hmm. Right. With my husband, it's, I mean, he loves his job, but it's, it's a job rather than him being running his business. Right. Um, And so it's like, well, there's people expecting him to be there. So that's already a boundary in place for me. It's I'm enforcing it. And I'm saying (laughs) my work is important. What I do is important. Mm -hmm. I think for a lot of people, especially women, that's really hard for us because it comes against the society's story that our number one function is to be a mother. It's so true. And I think I used to always say this before, but for lack of a better term, like male roles. I've, I was in the military for a while and, and did a lot of things like that. And my thought process at the time was always, you know, if I had a wife, then I could do the things that I need to do in my life because 
I'm working and I'm also the wife. And there was this, this pressure of, okay, so when I get home now, I start my next job where men don't feel that they do not feel that pressure. And, And my husband's a great support and a great help. And he still like innately just doesn't have the pressure of the kids are having pizza again. Right. Like, He's just like, the kid's having pizza again. It's a story. Right. Full stop, period. Right. <laughs> right. And I'm like, no salad, no nothing. Right. And so there's this, this whole other place that I can go with that. Yeah. And I just really think that every time those, those pieces of me come up, it's like, I have to remind myself, um, and maybe the next day or the next week and it'll hit me. And I'm like, oh yeah, that's just a story. That's societal context. And remembering that we were taught this versus yeah. this doesn't come from my being. This isn't who I am. This is what we were taught to believe that we should be doing 24 seven. And I also feel strongly that we're still in a new age of women doing what we do. And so many of us thought, okay, maybe I'll have my own business, but then we still had the previous context of what a wife meant or what a husband meant. And so even though we had these ambitious endeavors in our minds, we still thought, okay, so I need to do this great and still be a perfect wife. Especially and when, that. right. And society hasn't changed to match up with the fact right. that we are taking, that couples and partners of all genders, right, are evolving in what a partnership looks like and in what each one of you pursuing the things that you want to do looks like and how does mm-hmm. society supports that. Society still very much supports very binary gender roles. And I don't just mean what society thinks, I mean policies, right? right. It's just, you're working against so much to be able right. to, to do those things. And this kind of talking about policies and, and things and what society does and is, your work is, is about self-healing, but self-healing doesn't exist in a vacuum by itself, mm-hmm. right? Where the things right. that we're healing from are, yes, our personal stories of what happened to me as an individual, but we're also very much influenced by how society set up. What are the mm-hmm. constructs, the social constructs, the social stories, the social norms, and how do they influence how we feel about ourselves, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. So I'll give you as an example for myself. And I was speaking, I can't remember who I was interviewing recently, somebody about this. And I said, one of the core wounds that I healed, or yeah, I want to say healed because it's not, a, I don't feel activated in it. Mm-hmm. Like I did mm-hmm. my entire life anymore. It's a real... <laughs> right shift in it was my relationship with my mother. I just, I had so many stories. I had stories Mm -hmm. that, that I wasn't enough, that I didn't do enough, that I Mm -hmm. was a disappointment for her, that I, so many stories that when I really impact them and did that deep work, I was like, none of this is actually even true. Like she's only shown me the exact opposite of this, but the way that she showed up and what I received from her what I perceived in my childhood from her was very much influenced by things that were going on that I couldn't understand Mm -hmm. as a child. Mm -hmm. She was an immigrant. She was an East African immigrant to the UK. I can't imagine what that experience must have been like. Mm -hmm. My father worked at sea nearly my entire childhood. She was effectively a single parent. Mm -hmm. I can't imagine what that must feel like. I don't know what her like relationships with her parents were things that must have happened to her because things happened Mm -hmm. to all of us in our lives. Right. Right. So 
one of the things that I saw from your Skillshare program was about, and yes, looking at what is my individual story, but also what are the bigger things that I might Mm -hmm. have taken into context? What are some of the things that you see when you're working with your clients that are kind of like, I guess, universal stories or universal themes that run throughout it so that we know it's not just me? Right. Yeah. I mean, I think if I talk just about Black women, the number one theme is still trust. Trust within society, with our men, and with other Black women. Yeah. (laughs) Okay. Yes. Yes. (laughs) And then the societal context is that a beautiful woman is as fair as possible, Mm -hmm. has straight as hair. So those things are still very much colorism. Yeah. And we're still navigating that because it's still in effect. still here, right. So while we're trying to find our worth and our beauty, while there's all of these movements and all of these amazing, you know, Lapita and Janelle Monet, and mm-hmm. we still know that it's not accepted all around. Yeah. And I feel like it's hard to accept yourself sometimes when the message you're getting is that you're unacceptable. Hmm. And so I think black women are always having to make an intentional choice to choose their worth. But all women, I feel very much so like women choosing to put their careers first and a lot of women choosing to have families later has been such a big shift in women being able to really choose when they're ready. Or if they ever want to. Or if they ever want to. Right. And even that conversation is still not acceptable, even within women. I, I mean, mm-hmm. I, I've always said the, the hardest part about being a mom for me was going to meet with the other moms because I was never that mom mom. Like right. I was same. Mom. <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> I'm not, let me get my kid and go mom. I don't need to stick yes. around and have a chat. Yes. Mom, what right? time are we leaving? <laughs> so like, and that's, that's not okay. Right. Like, and, and so I think that, beginning to come to a place of, you know what? I am that mom. Yeah. That mom doesn't have to look like that. Yes. Right. And beginning to redefine what a woman is for you and what a, even within your friend groups, because even your friends have judgments against you. They as loving as they think they may be. We, they have these judgments and our families have thoughts about the way that we run our house and all of these things. Mm -hmm. And not everything deserves a conversation. And I know that sounds rude and, and, maybe even selfish, but it's the truth. I don't necessarily have to explain my thought process behind the way I raise my kids to you. I can just tell you that this is, this is the answer. I don't have to explain why my husband helps out the way he does with my kids. This is just the way it is in our house. And if you have questions from a place of inquisitiveness, because you're interested in having that kind of conversation with your husband, depending on our relationship, maybe I'll be open to it. So not to say that I'm completely closed off, but I think the biggest thing with women in terms of the way we are versus society is we have to begin to choose not to overexplain. Mm-hmm. And I think we always come up, I mean, I know I've done it. Maybe you've done this. You come to an event with the story. You've already rehearsed the questions. <laughs> you have pre-set up answers because we're so used to having to explain what people think is weird, what people think is different. And I think owning like that, there's no such thing as weird. It's just something that you're not okay with. And I'm not weird because I choose to do whatever. And even in that 
that much because you know right now even being an introvert which I am um and most people yeah, probably same. wouldn't guess mm-hmm. because I'm the type of introvert that does need connection sometimes yeah I think it's INFJ T but I'm an introvert but that doesn't mean that it's being glorified in a way that's even like, oh, you know, introverts unite. And it's like, also, yes, and everything doesn't have to become a, become a thing for me. Yeah, I feel you. I'm, I'm thinking about, so one of the other big things that I've learned on my healing journey is, and this really went parallel with me doing anti-racism work. Mm-hmm. So prior to writing an article called I need to talk to spiritual white women about white supremacy. I was really asleep. Like I was asleep at the wheel. I think because I'd grown up in dominant white society, I was so used to being an only. And even though I didn't now live as an adult in dominant white society, it was normal for me in spaces and places that I was in. So the personal growth and life coaching industry, it was normal Mm -hmm. for me to be an only because that's what I'd always known anyway, that in these spaces, they're the ones who are represented and people like me are rare. And it's normal that I should not see myself reflected Mm -hmm. anywhere else until I wrote that article and was initiated into doing this work. And there's been many things that this work for me, as I've been putting this work out to the world and saying, hey, I'm inviting you all to do this work. For me, it's this internal process of healing from internalized oppression. Mm -hmm. And one of the really, really big things was realizing, oh, first of all, I thought I was safe in this sea of white women. I'm not. Yeah, that, talk about a wake-up call. Huge. (laughs) huge wake-up call and really painful really Mm -hmm. like a lot of grief there a lot of pain a lot of how could I have not known where am I safe then and in trying to answer that question it became okay then I'm only safe with black women Mm -hmm. and that was safe for a while until I realized hmm the real story is I'm only safe here as long as I act in ways that fit in with this group too Mm-hmm. And the minute you, you know, we talk about that your black card being revoked or what makes yeah. you more black and what make right? Which is just a function of white supremacy at again. Yeah. But really a lot of healing came from, from me when I realized I have to define myself outside of everyone else's expectation, regardless mm-hmm. of race, that I cannot define myself based on what any group thinks I should be. I have to define myself based on what I am, what matters to me. So something that I think may be cool, maybe isn't cool for other people, right? Mm -hmm. Or maybe isn't interesting to other people. Maybe they don't Mm -hmm. find that fun. I shouldn't feel shame in that because that's that's mine. And that's where I got a sense of real freedom and then was able to be with other people who are different to me and be like, I honor you too, because I can see you really standing inside who you are and not mm-hmm. kind of trauma bonding with other people or having that sugar jar lid off. Right. Right. It's so interesting. I don't know if I shared this with you last time we chatted, but that article you wrote came at such a pivotal time for me because mm-hmm. I was in a year long energy healing group. And I will say I'm not, I didn't grow up used to being the only black person in a room because in New York City, most schools are... It's not like that, right, right. I hate to say, you know, it's the yeah. truth. So yes. everybody's eating at lunch with their group. And even when I was in high school and things like that, I had friends of different colors, of different 
uh, religions, everything. So I wasn't used to doing that, but going into that. And of course, again, this is the, the most painful thing about realizing you're maybe not safe, most likely not safe in a group of white women is the flashbacks. Because right. there's so many things that have happened. You're like, oh my God. <laughs> that she didn't know were happening. And then right. you're like, oh my God, this was never okay. But I was in a, in a group and it was supposed to be a healing group. It was a group where I was learning a lot about what I do in my work, uh, mm. about energy. And I did learn a lot from that group. And <laughs> one of the things that was really helpful with the energy and being in a group of white women was the constant microaggressions that I was getting mm. just for being a black woman and just for being a woman who had a different experience and how they were saying things like, you know, we have to hold space for each other. We have to be willing to see each other's other side, or, you know, we have to be able to let the light shine. It was only acceptable in certain cases. It was only acceptable, but I, I didn't have a word for what was happening mm. yet because this is 2016. This is before Trump got elected. And it really still, even though there was so much work that has been done by so many ancestors and so many women. Right. For, for decades, for centuries. It yeah. still hadn't hit me yet. No. And then it's happened to me. Trump got elected and then it was so much of like, what's the big deal? Which is yeah. fine. This is, you know, not politically. It was about my experience and my fear that I was yeah. looking for someone to see me and I was being met with even though I agree with you, I don't agree that this is, has anything to do with your race. I don't agree that this has anything to do with the way that you're seen in the world. And it was like right around that same time, your letter came out, your email, your, your blog. And, and at first I felt relief, like, thank God I don't have to write something. because <laughs> I was feeling like I have to get this out. Is, am I the only person and you put into words so much of what I was experiencing. And a lot of the women that I was in that group with reposted. I remember saying, reposting your, your letter. And, and that, just to be transparent, I was even angry about that because I was just like, it's so interesting that when it becomes right. socially acceptable, then it's like, oh. But when I was trying to tell you. When I was trying to tell you. <laughs> right, right. You, you know, you weren't trying to see me. Yeah. I feel you. I feel you. And. <laughs> There's so much around that because the space that you are in, you know, we're talking about healing and there are many people I'm sure who are listening to this conversation who are, yes, doing the healing work within themselves, but also perhaps wanting to go into, into work, into a career, into a calling where they are being called to hold space for other people's healing, to share healing practices, mm -hmm. right? And so much of the conversation in that space, I mean, I think it's changing now, but I don't know how much. But so much of that, that space is about, this is a space where race doesn't exist. Yes. We're only it's, it's talking about, right. Better. We're only talking about the individual healing the that often comes, soul and spirit, but often also, and this is a lot of what I was seeing at the time, and that I was participating in was smash the patriarchy. Oh my gosh, yes. Right? So this is mm -hmm. how we are wounded, harmed, hurt. We have the witch wound. All of that, right? And mm -hmm. I'm like, how come there's a witch wound, but there isn't a race wound? Like, I'm right. confused here. And not just for <laughs> Black people. Right. You know, I mean, <laughs> there's so many layers of race being used as a way to oppress. Yeah. Not just with, with Black people, but specifically as a Black woman. One of the biggest 
things for me, it, much like you in terms of the initiation, it was it initiated me more so than before. I always knew that I wanted to be in healing work. I didn't know how I was going to be in it, but I was curious. And so I was doing all of these different things until something actually fit. Mm. And when I was doing this energy work, I had a completely different thought in my mind about what my work would be like. And I remember a woman telling me when I was pleading with her to see my side and also trying to be as calm about it as possible because God forbid you be angry. And I just didn't want to be the angry black woman in the course. Um, That was my thought process at the time. And she said, if that's the way you feel, start your own group. And I was like, wow, checkmate. (laughs) But it was was really an initiating period for me. Like, right. I'll start my own. And my work is available for every single person, Mm -hmm. uh, men, women of any color or race. But I am a black woman, which means that when a black woman comes to me, different kind of space held for them. And it's just the truth than a woman who is saying, I can't see race or it doesn't exist or any of those kinds of things. Because we don't even have to explain anything to each other. I already know. Do you find that sometimes, because I think about myself, let's say five years ago when I was still, like I said, asleep, and I notice who I would gravitate to learn from. Mm-hmm. And it was often white women. Mm-hmm. And I mean, I would say part of it is that's because that's all we see. Mm-hmm. But I also think that internalized racism told me that white women were more credible in doing this work mm-hmm. than people who look like me. Right. Which says a lot about how I saw myself as well. Right. right. <laughs> so have you seen that kind of thing happening? I do. It's interesting, especially in social media. One of the things that I haven't talked about before, but I think it's really important to this conversation is the stealing or repurposing of black women's work. Yes. Let's talk about it. <laughs> yes. Because I've, ha- I've had many a black therapist, healer, teacher come into my inbox and say, this has happened to me. What am mm-hmm. I supposed to do? So it's, it's huge. It's huge. And yeah. um, actually I've had a friend of mine tell me like someone is doing this to your work. I can, t- I can tell wow. that it's, it's your work. The person who I'm not going to name is a really big person. And I'm not really big, you know, in terms of Instagram numbers on Instagram. And so when this first came to me, my thought was, you know, I do feel strongly that, and this is where the, to me, it's a little bit different. So all of my work is copywritten. So if I wanted to, I could go there, but I also feel very much like you can only copy me for so long And you may get something from it, maybe a post or a bunch of likes, but I feel like my connection and where this work is coming from is over ever flowing as long as I stay connected to what I'm, I'm connected to. And so I don't have to worry about all of my work being stolen, but also at the other end of it, it's very interesting that I felt strongly when I got into this work that white women were the ones that were at the forefront of the energy light all of these kinds of things. And I, and I still to this day don't see a lot of black women being the ones that are being given their flowers, so to speak, or that are being touted and talked about. And that's one of the biggest issues I do still have with 
anti-racism work or intersectionality, which is a whole other conversation really. But (laughs) I feel like the women who are saying I'm in this work and I see you and I support you are only seeing and supporting what is directly connected to being anti-racist. But when it comes to healing work and all of the other kinds of things, their circles and their workshops and their events still only reflect white women to a large degree. And perhaps a couple of black women who have reached a level in terms of numbers and societal recognition that having them a part of it. And I, and I'm not saying that those women don't deserve to be there. Absolutely not. I want to see more of those women. Yeah, 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 yeah. And so I think that that's something that is becomes a reason that black women continue to go to white women to try to, and again, white women can teach and white women can hold space and all of those things, but it often feels like there isn't an option because if you go someplace else, maybe your training isn't recognized or what you did because no one knows where you went. Right. I think you've said something really key there, which is that white people, and in this context, we're talking about white women because it's often white women in this space, but white people will often are now, now at this point in 2020 saying, okay, yes, I understand I need to follow black women, specifically who are doing anti-racism work. Yes. But when it comes to other areas, right, it's like, mm-hmm. oh, but we're still going to keep the status quo here. Mm-hmm. And I think it's so important to understand when we say black, follow black women, we mean everywhere. We mean (laughs) (laughs) but also specifically when it comes to healing work, you know, so much of the healing modalities come from us. From us and from other indigenous. uh, That's right. You know, a lot of the, the healing work and the energy work that I've done has been largely indigenous, indigenous rituals right. that were held by white people. Yeah. And even though there you know, may have been in some indigenous person who taught them this, and of course, it doesn't mean that because you're a different race that you cannot begin to really re- resonate and practice what another person's faith or rituals are. But I feel very strongly that when it's a part of your lineage and when you, when it's a part of your ancestry Mm. that you have a different connection to the work and, and you may even be taught or told or have things revealed to you that would have been different and and every single race. Yeah. And I also strongly, I strongly, when we were talking about ancestorship, I strongly believe in the energetic legacy, right? Like strongly, like there's certain things that I know that I have access to because I'm an African woman. That is what our roots were, right? Yes, and so you know, when people say the very famous Dr. Maya Angelou quote about, you know, 10,000 or 10 million or something yeah. like that woman. 10,000 ancestors, right, right. Yes, that's been with me. When we break a chain for our daughter, mm. it breaks the chain all yeah. the way back and breaks the chain forward because forward, now she doesn't yeah. even catch, she's not even carrying it. And I just really feel strongly that at some point I'm hoping that there will be more space for black women as healers, not just black women that are therapists, not just black women that have all of the things that make people say, yep, she checks all the blocks. I love seeing black women that are therapists being put to the forefront because a lot of black women have never even seen a black therapist before. Right. So all of that is beautiful. And we're still doing the same race and class things mm. within healing work, mm. which is blaring red flag to me in yeah. terms of 
really allowing ourselves to see our truth. Yeah. If there were, I mean, one or more, if you're, if it so strikes you, but there were, if there was something that other than what we've just discussed about kind of that dynamic that we've just discussed, if there was something that you would like to see be different in the way that we talk about healing, mm-hmm. what would that be? I think the biggest thing, especially in terms of social media, but just in, in general healing work, the thought process that is accessible. I only ever really see black women or um, black organizations talking about the inaccessibility of mm-hmm. healing work, even in books by some of the biggest authors, which I, I love their books. Yes. They don't talk about how hard it is to actually get to the place of seeing a therapist, whether it be financially or whether it just be that really we're the first black generation really talking about therapy openly right? just now. Mm-hmm. And so that accessibility in itself, that it's okay, that uh, mental health is something that we can talk about, that it's scary to be a black person to go into a room with most likely a white therapist and talk about all of the emotions and feelings you're having. How can this person actually hold space for me? And then many times it's a re-traumatization because they can't. Right. I remember they have really done their work. And and even if they've really done their work, once we get to race, like if I'm talking about my boyfriend, that's one thing. But then once we get to race, it becomes usually you're triggered. The re-traumatization and now I'm holding space for you. Right. Right. And it's, yeah, because there's, it's supposed to be a place of great vulnerability where you can really share what's going on. I remember, so I um, struggled with uh, depression and anxiety in my early twenties. And that's what really got me set off on the route, on the path of self-healing. But I didn't know it was depression or anxiety until Mm -hmm. a few years later. I thought there was just something very broken in me, Mm -hmm. especially because none of my friends had it. It was just me. And I remember a friend saying, maybe you should talk to the university counselor. And so I said, okay, I'll go, I'll go do that. And the counselor was a white man, an older white man. And I had an inkling over what some of the things were that were kind of in my mind. But Mm -hmm. as I was sharing them with him, it was just, you couldn't understand. It was, it's very specific to being a a black daughter, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. (laughs) A firstborn Muslim black daughter, Mm -hmm. (laughs) Right, (laughs) And I think also when we're doing our healing work and we're looking for someone to see us, we need Mm -hmm. them to be able to see all of us. Yeah. And when we're talking about connection and community and building trust and being able to be vulnerable, all of those things need to take place with someone who is safe and, and feel safe and can hold space for us. And you can't hold space if you can't hold space for all of them. Mm -hmm. I am helping you heal your soul. Maybe I'm helping you heal past lives, all of those, which and all of that kind of stuff is, is potentially applicable. Right. But most importantly, I'm helping the human being in front of me that happens to be in a black body. Mm -hmm. And if we cannot look at what this human person is going to have to walk around and, and deal with, once um, they're out of this therapy room, once they're li- right, they're going back to living their daily life, right? Then we're not actually helping the soul of the spirit because mm-hmm. the soul of the spirit chose this body for a reason. That's it's right. it's actually happening. And if it's a construct, then it's a construct that we need to work to break, not a construct we should be ignoring. Right. And so when I see those things happening, and that's the biggest thing I see happening in, in healing work. And, and I do think you're so right in terms of the internalized 
racism that we all feel. We feel like sometimes because someone has certain degrees or because they are a certain color, or because of all the different things that they may know more than we may even know about ourselves. Right. And that's why I really, again, feel so strongly about self-healing and like, it doesn't mean that you do it alone. Self-healing is not about doing it alone. It's about being inquisitive and curious about what it is that is up for you to look at in this moment. And then you can use that discernment to choose who you work with on that particular thing versus I should be looking outside myself for the answers. Mm. And that's the big, the Mm. big difference. I think that's, that's really big because I'm somebody who I think just because of my disposition, but also because as I said, like my story and my Mm -hmm. path have always been anything that's personal growth, self-help, spirituality, I'm like make a, making a beeline for it. Like mm-hmm. even when one of the activities you have in your, in your courses about what are the things that bring you joy? I mean, so much of them are linked to the work that I do, mm-hmm. that learning, reading books, journaling, reflecting, t- having deep one-on-one conversations with people, mm-hmm. you know, listening to a podcast, watching an inspiring video, like those things bring me joy. And I, I tend to gobble it all up. Right. But I know for Mm -hmm. some people that's not a play. I I mean, I think about my husband. He's like, I'm not looking at any of that stuff. Just, you know, (laughs) that's not, he never, you know, not a self reflective, Mm -hmm. let me journal out my feelings or where would I even know to begin? And I remember I had a friend many years ago who was a woman and I would talk to her about, oh my God, journaling will help you so much. And she'd be like, I tried. It just, I'm not getting it. What I really love about what you're sharing was you took the sort of mysticism out of it. I was like, anyone can do this. Yes. Yeah. And I thought about like the people, like my husband, for example, you know, people might think, oh, because you do this work, your husband must be like a deep introspective. They're usually the like, complete opposite. No. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely not. And I thought about him, like, if I was talking to him mm-hmm. and I was asking him to go on this journaling journey, which is already a no, because yeah. it's a journaling. <laughs> I'm like, where do I sign up? How do I get and he's like, no, thank you. I, right. And I really think that sometimes we, we convolute something that yeah. is really supposed to be something that keeps it really interesting for us and really quick. And, and even if we are journaling folks that love healing work, if we're moms, if we're busy, if we have, you know, tons of things going on, something that I would want to do after spending my day pouring into others and et cetera. And I think making journaling something that's actually joy bringing many times our journals are where we dump all of the crap that really sucks, which is important, but also how do we bring it back to, okay, I'm filling up my jar now. Cause when we empty out all of that, we usually maybe we feel relieved or maybe we even still feel sad, but then what are we going to do to help fill ourselves up while we're walking through, through sadness? Because sadness is an emotion that we should turn towards and that we should welcome just like joy because it's, it's showing us something. But at the same time, sadness isn't something that we should let gobble us up. Just like if we lived in joy completely all the time, like, no space for anything else, right? No space for anything else. Probably it's, it's the same. Anything in excess is, is something we should be con- curious about. Yeah. I love that you said this because it, it brings back what I wanted to say earlier about understanding what it means to be human. 
And, you know, part of my, my mission is to create a world in which everybody, people of all races, get to live in the freedom of their full humanity, the dignity mm-hmm. of their full humanity. And the reason I use humanity is on my healing journey, I had to reclaim for myself, what is my humanity? Mm-hmm. Because these people are telling me it should be that. These people are telling me it should be this. What do I understand about what it means to be a human being? And what does it look like when I own all parts of myself? For so long, I thought it was about getting to that only feel joy all the time. Mm-hmm. And that because I'm not there, I'm still, wrong. there's still something really off about me. And so when we look at humanity, you know, what are the ahas that you've had as you were coming into that realization of like, I'm actually okay exactly as I am. Yeah. Definitely the biggest one was embracing anger. Anger is something that all Black women (laughs) are trying to avoid in public for fear of being characterized as an angry Black woman, especially at work. And even with Black people, like I've been called like an angry Black bee before. So, you know, it's this whole thing. And when I realized that my anger was no different than a white man's anger, a white woman's anger, any other person's anger, and that it was an opportunity for me to allow myself to be angry and that my anger, I didn't have to be afraid of it. Mm. It also didn't mean that I had to act in the ways that I had been taught anger should behave. Mm. I could learn a new way of being angry instead of thinking that my anger had to be expressed in this one way. Because if it's not, it's like, if it's not explosive, then it's not anger. Or if it's not repressed and like, you know, resentment, right? That just, like, there are healthy ways to to express anger. Yeah. And it doesn't have to be projected Mm. at another person. I think we often feel if I don't get this off my chest, if I don't have this conversation with this person, very similar to the person who I know may have used a few of my posts for inspiration, so to speak, for their posts. If I don't have this conversation, she doesn't know that I'm watching. Sometimes we don't have to have conversations for things to take place and for, for, for us to put boundaries in place. You know, she's Mm -hmm. blocked and she may still see me, Mm -hmm. but I won't see her Mm -hmm. (laughs) and it may be happening and I know for a fact that I cannot stop every single person who is recreating or, re- you know, sometimes I just feel very much like we can have that anger and then we can say, what, what is this anger pointing me to? And it's pointing yeah. me to how can I create boundaries that are realistic? Because I can't control this, whether it's her or oh, thousands of other right. people. And so I will do the best that I can to block and to ask for credit when necessary. And yeah. at the end of the day, this is the risk you take when you put your work out into the world. And, you know, obviously if it was being repurposed for money or something like that, potentially I would. We're going to have a different kind of, right. (laughs) But I'm copywriting my work. I'm doing all the things. And and, and that's just an example of how we go through the checklist of, okay, I'm angry. So what can I do with this versus I'm angry and I'm going to tear this woman apart in my head about how she's this and she's this and she's that when really that's not what's going to serve my anger. It's just Mm. fueling my anger. And I want to serve my anger because it's, it's a roadmap. It's, mm. it's, it's giving me an opportunity to see where I can go with this. Mm. Rather than, yeah. So 
you've used anger as an example, jealousy might be another part jealousy. of ourselves, right? That we, mm-hmm. that we're like, oh, can't feel that. That's really, mm-hmm. really wrong. Can't feel that. But jealousy tells us something as well. It does. Mm-hmm. And, and I mean, it's often for me, when, whenever I felt jealous or whenever I felt a longing is more so what jealousy feels like for me. It's always an opportunity for me to turn back to my worth. It's always an opportunity for me to turn back into my comparison and what I'm projecting onto this person, this woman, this man, about how much easier, better, simpler their experience may be compared to whatever story I have created about right. how awesome they are. And, and of course... And how not awesome I am. Right. not awesome I am. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. And yeah. Yeah. And so I'm seeing how it's really, really helpful. I mean, like I said, I journaling is something that I love to do anyway, but mm-hmm. I can see how even more it's so helpful to reflect on the day because mm-hmm. like you said, there's so many things that happen and we're like, oh, that was an inappropriate emotion or I don't want to admit that I felt that or I just got to keep it moving mm-hmm. and we tuck it away and then we move on, right? And like you said, it builds up and builds up and builds up. And suddenly you're feeling this uncontrollable level of anger or of Mm -hmm. jealousy or of whatever it is. And it comes out sideways in ways that don't match up with our integrity of how we see ourselves and don't match up with our, with our values, taking that moment to stop every day, or, you know, if it's not every day, every few days or whatever it is to check in. Yes. If you think about like the roadmap or, GPS, you know, when you're listening to GPS, it's telling you like, turn left, turn right. Well, if you have the volume turned down, then you don't know what turn you were supposed to make. So by the time you, you may arrive at your destination, but you don't remember what turns you make, what streets they were. And so you may only remember like, oh, I know we passed a red house, but you don't really know what, what was going on when you were passing that red house. And so when we get to the point where we've exploded, Unfortunately, sometimes we lose that awareness about what it was that actually brought us to this point. So now we're only handling whatever our explosion that was. That thing, like, right. <laughs> whatever the last thing was. that Whatever the last thing was. <laughs> right. And it's like, oh, wow. It was just, I needed some time for myself. I was feeling overwhelmed. And sometimes it's, we, we're afraid to look at that emotion because I shouldn't be overwhelmed. I'm mm. lucky to have my own business. I'm lucky to be a mom. I'm lucky right. to have all these stories, right? All these stories, right. yeah. Which is like, I think it's, I'm learning it's so important to hold the both and, right? Like, mm. yeah, I am so blessed and privileged and, you know, grateful and all of those things. And this is also true at the same time. I'm feeling mm-hmm. these, these, these things and I can own both at the, at the same time. And then- And that is the goal. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like being able to hold, you know, I'm really thankful I'm home right now. And also I'm really having a hard time with everything that's happening in the world right now. Or I'm, you know, really thankful that I have a loving and happy relationship, but I would love some time by myself. (laughs) Right. And, you know, I think that there's this tendency that we have that we want to tie it up in a nice, neat bow at the end. Right. I'm the one. I'm a mom. I have a great business. Right. Done. That's it. That's it. The the journey is over. I made it. <laughs> yes. Yeah. And life isn't like that. And and speaking about where life is, I mean, this is something that just personally for me, I want to talk about as we close up our conversation, but I think it will resonate with a lot of people. So I'm, I'm currently off social media. I'm on a mm-hmm. 
11 day break from social media, mm-hmm. which I like to do every now and then, especially when I'm feeling like, oh, the outside voices are louder than the inside voice. Yeah. And I feel like I'm doing a lot of things, but where am I going again? Mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, right. <laughs> all right. So let me just hit pause here so I can listen inwards and take stock of where I am because so often we are, like you said, as black women, like just moving forward, moving forward, mm-hmm. moving forward, not realizing how much we're succeeding, achieving, mm-hmm. you know, doing and not realizing, ah, I'm not the me that I was six months ago mm-hmm. or a year ago or two years ago. And that's been a big one for me, especially post publishing me and white supremacy and seeing what it's been doing in the world I finished my book tour, I came home and then the pandemic hit. Mm-hmm. So I didn't have time to reflect on, wow, that right. happened. <laughs> that happened. And what does it mean now? And what were all the experiences I've had? And how do I feel now in my mm-hmm. life? It was just keep it moving, keep it moving, keep it moving. Right. right. So that's why I'm on pause right now. But one of the huge things that I've realized is I'm at a shifting point in my life. Doing something like publishing a book in the world or, you know, any time where you do something that you're like, I've always wanted to do that. Yeah. Right. And you worked so hard and you overcame your fears and you did everything and then you, and it's done now. It's like climbing to that top of that mountain and you're right. down and you're like, what next? Wow. Right. Yeah. Because I've, in the climbing, I became different. Mm-hmm. And, and so I was, I've been speaking to my husband about the fact that I said, I, I feel like I'm in a really pivotal point of my womanhood and my personhood mm-hmm. right now, where I'm no longer trying to get up the mountain. I'm wondering what mountain do I want to choose to climb next? And yes. what does it look like to climb a mountain where I recognize that I'm worthy as I climb the mountain, mm-hmm. right? Because that's that's the healing work, right? It's been ongoing. So I'm like, I don't need to prove anything to anyone right? Anymore, right? <laughs> right. <laughs> I mean, you know, I don't know. I didn't ask you this. I may have been thinking it, but yeah. in terms of like, you know, we talked about this, this big transition from putting something in the world. And then when you have, the external validation of no, this is something. Yeah. And you've been doing the work to have your worth with you, whether it was validated externally yeah. or not. not. But I did it, right? Like, right. It's done. But now, so I proved it to myself, I proved it to other people. What do I get to build? What do I choose to build now? I'm not yeah. proving. Right. And as we get older, you know, I think it's, for me, it's coming definitely because of this thing. But for those who are like, I bet I haven't written a book right? or whatever. But as we age, as we get older and we get more experience and more wisdom and we go through things that hit us hard and we pick ourselves back up and we learn and we mm-hmm. grow, we come to a point where we recognize a shift where it's like, oh, I feel the weight of other people's expectations slipping off of me. Yes right? I feel the need to prove that I need to do this or to do that, to be worthy is just slipping away. Mm-hmm. And it's an exciting point where I'm not trying to prove that I'm, I'm fearless, right? But that I'm sensing yes. it coming from within, but maybe other people haven't caught up with where I am right now. 
Yes. <laughs> have you yourself experienced that and your clients as well? And how do you, as we shift from, I need to fix myself because I'm broken mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. versus I want to live my life where it feels juicy and good. Like, yeah, yes, that transition. You know, it's so interesting because I'll just speak for myself and then I'll talk about like what I would tell a client in this particular situation. Mm. I'm currently writing a proposal for a book. Ah, exciting. <laughs> That's so exciting. That's exciting, but oh my God. Yeah. <laughs> As you know, <laughs> for anyone uh, who hasn't done it, it's a process. It's a process mm-hmm. and it's a show me why you deserve this. Yeah kind of process in terms of, okay, let's just get to the the human stuff, the world stuff, numbers, this, this, where have you been seen? Where have you been shown? Um, Because for those who don't understand, you know, for us, it's like, this is my soul work. And for the industry, it's like, this is a product that we need to sell. sell. Right. (laughs) Yes. So it's turning something that you've just genuinely been, that just, and and it's not for, not everyone may have had this experience, but I feel like you've had this experience where it's just something that kind of turned into something that you were working on, but you didn't know it was going to take off at this kind of speed in this kind of way. And now you have an opportunity to do something and you're having to quantify it. And one of the things I would have been telling myself and that I tell my clients when they're having to do something like this, whether it's going to a Ivy school or going to college or being the first person to graduate from college or wanting to make six, whatever. Like we have these worldly goals and then we have these spiritual goals and then we have our human goals and sometimes they can intersect. And that's where I think the soul work and the self-healing work really comes into play. Because as I'm doing this, I am putting every single part of the things that the human part of me, Yasmin, has yeah. done. Yeah. And then I have to completely keep my worth, my soul work, my self separate yeah. from whatever this publisher may or may not have to say yeah. about my work. Because yeah. otherwise I, it, it destroys you. It destroys you. And, yeah. it, and it, it can make you hide the gifts you have. Yeah. If, you know, because the truth of the matter is, when you do something like this, you're asking to be judged. Right. Yeah. And tell me how much you think I'm worth is what we're talking about here. Just as much as it is when you put a post on Instagram or when you put yeah. something on Instagram, people are going to like it or people are going to comment and say what they want or DM you. And, and what I've learned, I think, is it's really important for me to separate myself, but then also allow myself to feel the emotions of, I'm scared. This sucks. This is exciting. Mm-hmm. All of the things at the same time. Mm-hmm. I also feel very much that like using your analogy when we're climbing those mountains, knowing that it's always safe to come back down and to maybe choose a different mountain. And I feel like reminding myself, like if I make it to the top of this mountain and then for some reason something happens, there's an avalanche and I fall back down, then I can climb up again or I can choose a different mountain. I can choose a different country. I can choose a different way this mountain isn't my only opportunity. That's right. That's right. I love that you've said that because that's, as I've been sort of sequestered away, self-reflecting, 
I'm and reflecting on the thinking that I had about my worth before versus where I am now, because every single day, you know, I'm growing as we all are. I'm giving loving appreciation to the part of me that felt like anybody else could tell me what my worth was mm-hmm. and deeply appreciative of the fact that I had the experience so that I could see it wasn't true. It's kind of like when people who are rich say money doesn't mean anything. And it's like, you can tell me that, right? But right. <laughs> as not having experienced it, I'm just taking your word for it right? It's only that you get there and you're like, oh, okay. I I see now I understand. I understand this thing that I couldn't have understood when I was in a different part of my life. Um, And that's the thing, right? Is that we're constantly growing into deeper awareness of ourselves. Yes. And I think allowing ourselves to understand that the awareness and the big break, they're not together. And and explain explain what you mean by that. (laughs) Because we believe that like when we get the opportunity or some, or we get the email that we never imagined or the thing happens, we're like, yeah. Oh my God, this is evidence that I am like, aware. Right. In, I have stepped into my yeah. authenticity. Once we make that connection, what about when it's no, Oh shit. Like, well then this yes. wasn't the yeah. uh, sign. And it's like, no, I do know myself and this wasn't it. This mm-hmm. wasn't the time. Or perhaps I'm going to have a better situation come along. You just, allowing life to bring you opportunities is allowing life to show you that you're valid is more so what the transition is, especially for women wanting to be measured and wanting to be seen as, as someone who has a voice and that, that in their voice matters. Again, this is an issue that I know that men deal with, but they deal with it in a very different way in that Mm. their voice is always valid. There are men in leadership today who say whatever they want to say. And if they were a woman, it would not be received in the same way. Yeah. And there's no repercussions. Even for women, sometimes when we say certain things, when you have to maybe not deal with the people you said it to, but your husband or your your partner, your mom is like, why would you say say that? Right. Whereas if it's a man, it's kind of like, well, you know, he was just expressing himself or he just felt very strongly about this. Yeah. And so when we get to get into these spaces where we're putting our work out in, in a field that is very masculine, even though self-healing is not and the work that you do in terms of healing is not, uh, publishing is very masculine. And it's mm-hmm. just now starting to recognize uh, women who write in a different way. And it's also still very white. And so extremely, um, so, (laughs) you know, having to really just allow yourself to be a different thing that they may see and to understand that that difference may not be something that gels Mm. and then that's okay. And it's, it's just a very interesting process. Mm. I'm trying to also stay present to it. Like I said, I am a a former military member and and being in the military is all about the lack of presence. Mm. It's about pushing yourself down because you can't do that job and be present. You can't, right, it's right. impossible. And I think so, that there's so many roles, both professionally and personally, where many people feel like this isn't a place where I can be present because to be present, because what we're saying when we're see, saying be present is be present with all the different parts of yourself. Mm-hmm. And in certain places and spaces that isn't seen as appropriate or isn't felt as safe. It puts right. us in a place of vulnerability and we're not talking about the type of vulnerability that 
leads to, you know, innovation and creativity and all of those <laughs> right. things. We're talking about the vulnerability where you could get really, really hurt. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. And so how do we allow ourselves the gift of vulnerability? Because for me, vulnerability is a sign of I'm a human being. It's mm-hmm. a sign of my humanity. But if I'm in spaces and places every day where the safest way to exist is with an armor, is with a shell, you know, how do we begin to crack that while still being safe? Yeah, I think it's definitely... Or is that that an illusion, the idea of being safe? I was going to say, I definitely think it's that we have to redefine what safe is and and, and recognizing that, like, every time I get a message back and, you know, being someone who writes and being someone who's written a long time, I get something back from the person I'm working with and she says, what does this mean? Or can you expand on that? Or can we dig into that? Or can we X this? I'm like, oh, wow. Opportunity for me to expand. And also this sucks. (laughs) Like, you know, allowing myself to have both parts. I think that people think like the evolved part of us would be, oh, thank you so much for giving me that opportunity to see where I can go. I lovingly welcome the feedback. No, it's like, (laughs) yo, how did I write this? What is going on? And then you have the part of like, hey, you wrote this because you're human and you're excited and you're trying to do the best that you can. And she is here to literally make sure you give the best product that you can. So get used to not being the expert. Just like in life, we're not the expert. You mean I'm not the center of the universe? (laughs) (laughs) That's why when it comes to self-healing work, anything is self-healing work because this simple process of giving her this proposal is an opportunity for me to see how I still believe Mm. that I have control over an outcome Mm. that I have no control over. Mm. And how can I release that control and that surrender to just be a part of this process? Just like when... um, you were putting your book out. I had emailed you before it came out. And I was like, I know you're going to be on the bestsellers list. It's so funny. There's like a whole list of people who sent this to me at the time. It sent me an email, sent me a message, sent me a message after said the same thing. And I was like, okay. <laughs> <laughs> it's It's got to be intense to take it in. And then uh-huh. on the other side of it, it's like, oh. okay, now <laughs> I take this in. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. There, I said that was the last thing, but there is a last thing that I want to talk about because of something that you said around recognizing that we are not in control of everything that's happening. Mm-hmm. A conversation that's often in the, in the healing space, self-healing space is around manifestation, mm. right? And that every experience that we have comes from whatever we energetically and beliefs mm-hmm. and all of that, that what we focus on is that's the only thing that we'll experience. Right. And so if there is something that we're experiencing in our lives that we say consciously that we didn't want, perhaps subconsciously we did want it, or mm-hmm. that was what we did call in. And a question I often get, I think because I've spoken to spiritual white women about white supremacy is, so do you believe that manifestation doesn't exist then? And my answer to that is I believe in universal law. Mm-hmm. And I believe that there are things that are happening in the world, Mm -hmm. things that we have socially constructed that mess with that in some way. Yes. Yeah. How do you approach that? So I definitely believe we do not have control over things that would take someone else's action to make something happen. And what that means is that doesn't mean that 
that there isn't something working for my good, mm. but I do not have necessarily the control to make the publisher I want to work with sign. Right. But if you just it. really think about it, yes, me. Right. You really dream right. about it each day. <laughs> but that's right. 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 But because of free will, mm. that means that. So there, I have many thoughts on this, but I'll say this manifestation is washed in white supremacy. Yeah. When you say manifestation, do you mean what we see today? What we see today that is being taught, taught as, as right. This is just my opinion. And based on what I have you know, experienced in terms of energy work and my clients and things yeah. like that, manifestation is only possible when you are taught that there is another possibility for you. If you grow up like I grew up, how could I have manifested something that I have never seen or never saw someone who looks like me doing Then I have already decided? So yes, in that way, manifestation is right. Because that means that if I do not see Mm. something happening, if I don't see Michelle Obama, if I don't see Dr. Maya Angelou, if I don't see a black teacher, then I am manifesting only what is happening in the project building that I live in. Yes. But if I am exposed to other things or I have the opportunity to, to read or to see different things, then perhaps I have the opportunity to manifest something different. But manifestation requires everyone to be willing to give opportunity to everyone and to make decisions because with manifestation, it's always free will. Manifestation doesn't trump free will. I don't believe that anyway. And so mm. with, with that in mind, manifestation only works for all people when we are willing to give opportunities and, and willing to help others and willing to do things for others as a collective. I have um, never heard it described this way. And I'm literally getting like tingles all over my arms because holy yes. <laughs> yes. Like now, if you believe in God yeah. and you have a spiritual connection with God, some people call it the universe whatever the name is that you have for a higher being, I do believe that they, that the universe, that God has a miraculous control Mm. and can allow Mm. certain things to be revealed or discovered that may change the free will or the action or the thing so that you can have what it is that is, is in alignment for you. But I think our role is being aligned and to be aligned, we have to be curious and to be curious, we have to be, available to ask ourselves these questions. And this is, again, why I think it's so important for Black women and all people of color to be uplifted in healing work, because this is something that if you grew up with privilege, you're not even thinking about in terms of manifestation, how much further a Black person that grew up like me in Brooklyn and the projects how much further I have to jump That's to right. even fathom mm. the same kind of thing that you're manifesting. So That's right. manifestation is not real because I have to work to get to a place where I can even manifest what you grew up with. Right. And so did manifestation help me get here in terms of aligning my thoughts? I think yes. Did mm. manifestation help me get here in terms of aligning the people I've met that have maybe helped to enlighten me and helped to give me a seed or give me a book or something like that, like the blog post you wrote, that's what I feel like is manifestation. When we get those, those little notes or those little 
people we meet, all those opportunities that help to ignite us yeah. to move towards. Yeah. Yeah. I love this so much. I'm thinking of my, my husband who, like I said, doesn't do any, he's not even a reader, like not into books, definitely mm-hmm. not into self-healing and personal growth work. Loves listening mm-hmm. to me talk about it, but isn't, yeah. isn't into it himself. But he's one of the greatest manifestors that I know. And mm-hmm. what I think it is, is that, and what I've observed and what he says to me is he says, he got this from his mom. He receives with one hand and he gives with the other. Mm-hmm. So whatever mm-hmm. comes to him, he immediately th- thinking, who can I give to? And so mm-hmm. he keeps this sense of energy going. But what I connected to what you just said was the importance of the collective. Manifestation mm-hmm. is so often taught as in the way that white supremacy and whiteness culture is, which is it's all about the individual, mm-hmm. the individual rising to the top versus collectively we are creating alignment collectively we are uplifting each other it's one of the reasons why on this podcast i make such an intentional effort to primarily interview black and brown people mm-hmm. because we yeah we all have to write right right yeah and if you think about you know i mean obviously i'm not teaching you you know this but white people are taught to believe there's an innate belief that they just don't have the same beliefs and, and thoughts in terms of what is theirs and what they have access to. Right, right. Because so, whiteness says you are entitled to all of it. Correct. Yes. And so the definition, the societal definition that I have seen in the healing world of manifestation cannot match the actual world we live in right. unless we are saying manifestation is only for some people. That's right. That's right. In which case, it's something else. <laughs> In which case, because <laughs> for it to be universal law, it would have to exist for all of us together. Right. right. So we right. have to do the both and. Yeah. We need to do the both and with uh, manifestation, with yeah. all healing tools, and think about yeah. how is this applicable to people who are having to up just believe in their worthiness and being a person yes. because of the way they're being all of those things. Right how are we going to tie in their real life experience of the world and manifestation and make that a real thing for them? Right. As well as myself. Right. Beautiful. Yasmin, thank you so much. I like, you've turned my brain inside out, like (laughs) got me thinking about so many things in such a different way. And like I said, you just said so many things today that I just hadn't heard them said that way. So I'm really going to be sitting with all of us. So thank you for everything you've brought. Thank you for having me. Conversation. You're amazing. Our very last question then that I ask every guest, Mm -hmm. what does it mean to you to be a good ancestor? And I know this sounds selfish, but to choose myself and to really put myself in a place of just building a foundation where my purpose and my feelings and my emotions and everything that I am matters, not only because that allows me to actually show up for all of the people in my life that matter for me, but I do believe that when we see other people choosing themselves, we normalize choosing ourselves. And I don't know what this world would be like if every single woman specifically, but every person thought that choosing themselves was something that was normal and that even in this statement that I don't have to say, I know this sounds selfish, that we know that it's not selfish, but that it is, it's a human right to be allowed to choose yourself. And I, and I really feel 
that if we chose ourselves that we wouldn't choose so many of the things that we choose in lieu of that. So, yes. Beautiful. Thank you. You're welcome. This is Leila Saad, and you've been listening to Good Ancestor Podcast. I hope this episode has helped you find deeper answers on what being a good ancestor means to you. We'd love to have you join the Good Ancestor Podcast family over on Patreon, where subscribers get early access to new episodes, patron-only content and discussions, and special bonuses. Join us now at patreon.com forward slash good ancestor podcast. Thank you for listening, and thank you for being a good ancestor.